Yeah, it doesn't take that much to, uh, to satisfy the soul. It's uh, the simple things, especially when we have good association. And I liked what you said, it reminding about integrity. It's, um, it's possible also when we, we develop really close relationships with devotees, close means that we're able to be vulnerable and uh, not, um, well, not pretentious. Also, you know, if we're open to change and, and improvement. And as I said in the beginning, it's, it's one of the most important practices in Krishna consciousness to create a safe environment where devotees can come in and feel regularly that they're able to hear and chant and then in relationship to what they're hearing and chanting to process what they're going through in their own lives and discuss it so that they can process and, and overcome it or rise to a new level. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. You brought a lot of positive energy to these sanghas. Hare Krishna. Any other realizations from being here in the Dom? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So Hare Krishna. after hearing your lectures, uh, I started two major points that I really liked. Is, uh, one is focus on what we are doing and being attentive to whatever we are doing. Rather than just chanting, chant attentively, reading, read uh, scrutinizingly proper books. And the second point was about having a plan for the next day. That really impacted. Devi Forrester, I just woke up. The first thing I remember, remembered was you saying that chant Hare Krishna the moment you wake up. So it's, okay, that's the first time I ever did After In so many years in Krishna consciousness, I never did that. So the first time I ever did that, and it felt really, really good. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Tiny, because uh, as I was, that is that Krishna is the master of our senses. And when we become conscious of him and express our intention that we want to serve him, he'll help us to use our senses in his service. Otherwise, it's it, meaning our lives and the way we move through the world becomes a challenge. The molecule of bhakti can still attract Krishna's heart. So that gives a lot of hope. It does. We need hope. We need courage. Courage comes from a French word, core, which means the heart. And we are driven by our heart. It's the, the chariot driver of, of this body of the chariot, the way our heart goes, we go. And Prabhupada writes in the last verse of the 15th chapter of the Gita that one obstacle everyone has to overcome in order to come to Krishna consciousness is weakness of heart. Um, and he defines weakness of heart as the proclivity to become attached to matter and then to become fully absorbed in it. And uh, when we're able to develop some spiritual strength, then by Krishna's grace, as he said, we can rise above that. And one of the ways to do that is to be consistent. And one of the best ways to become consistent is to have a good philosophy in life, which is the one you just expressed, that even a molecule of bhakti is very powerful. I've noticed the phenomena, and I'm sure it's not an original observation, others have also, and that is that 
There's sometimes a tendency that if we can't do everything or if we can't do it perfectly, then we don't do anything. And uh, in bhakti, or for any discipline for that matter, it's better to do the best that you can with what you have right in the moment. In fact, Krishna says this to Uddhava in the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, Sve Sve Adhikariya Nishta Saguna Parikirtita Vipariyatu Dosha Syad Ubariyor Esha Kinkara that uh, one should act according to one's level. It means Adhikari means that everyone has a level that they can execute devotional service at right now. And if you do the best with that, and you, in fact, what Krishna is saying here, sve sve adhikari, everyone has their own quali qualification or level to start from. Sve sve adhikari anishta, saguna. So he said that's a good quality. Guna means, it means like the three gunas, but it also means something good, like a good quality. Saguna parikirtita. If you have this tendency to do the best you can with what you have and don't, number one, despair that I, that I, I don't have enough. Uh, no, you have enough. Every living entity is like a bird flying in the sky and we fly according to our capacity. But the sky is unlimited, so who can say that some higher flying bird is more uh, accomplished? We just have more capacity and we can develop that. And then on the other side, he says, Ubayor, the opposite. tas, That is that uh, if you try to do, act more and do more than you're qualified for, then he said it's not a good quality, it's a bad quality. Do the best you can with what you have. Commenting on this verse, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur says in his Chaitanya Shikshamrita that we should proceed in our practice of bhakti as if we're climbing a ladder. And when one climbs a ladder, if you try to run up the ladder too fast, you can slip and fall. However, if you go too slowly, then he says, his words, or at least the translation of his words is that your advancement will be distant. Distant means you won't move ahead. We should always be moving ahead incrementally at least. And so he advises that when you feel that your foot is on the rung firmly, the rung of the ladder, metaphorically, then you should take the next step. And in that way, move forward steadily. It takes courage to do that. That's why I mentioned courage, because oftentimes I want the safety of what I already know. But uh, it's much more exciting in life to take a risk for Krishna. As Prabhupada said, we give up gambling, but actually, if you take risks for Krishna, you'll get the same thrill, but you'll never lose. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> One other point about what you said, about uh, trying to be a good devotee, not a great devotee. I had this thought once that don't try to be a great devotee, just try to be a good devotee, but do try to do good, great japa. Don't be satisfied with just good japa. Try for great japa. And then you'll have the presence of mind to be just a good devotee. I mean, there's nothing just about being a good devotee, but the point is that, 
<clears throat> if we do the best we can, then we'll be doing fine. Okay, somebody else had their hand up. Yes, one, two. The other day you told that one should go to bed hungry <laughs> and without taking any food. Yeah. So there is a, in Ayurveda it's mentioned that after sunset our digestive system it stops working oh. and whatever we eat 90% of the food is not digested. Oh my goodness. It becomes poison that it is mentioned in Ayurveda. So I'm for trying to follow that last uh, couple of years. So it is helping me a lot. Oh good. Yeah, it's very practical. One, one psychological phenomena I've noticed from that is that there's this, you know, the hunger urge can come up at, at any time, but especially at night and say like, you gotta eat or you'll die. And uh, however, with urges, urges tend to present themselves by saying, I'm never gonna go away until you give in. But, with a little practice of neglecting them, they fade away and then you notice that it's a bit of a phantasmagoria. But especially with not eating at night, there's a way that as soon as you, at least I'll speak for myself because everyone's body's different and it's not an absolute anyway. But the fact is that I've noticed it that I appreciate myself a lot more in the morning. Like, thank you for making that decision, higher self, last night. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, there's always this struggle with the body. Because the, the senses are, are interconnected with the sense objects in the material world. This is a, a point that uh, is made by Hamsa Avatar who appeared to speak to the four Kumaras and answer their questions about how to control the senses. Ultimately, he says, does Hans Avatar, that it's not that we should detach the mind from the world, but we should detach ourselves from our mind. It's a difference. And one of the reasons he says that is because our senses and mind are part of the world. And as Kapiladev explains, when a baby's in the womb and starts to develop, he or she then, if, uh, if the baby's fortunate, has this cognition that I'm a soul, I'm in a body, and right now I'm in this situation. And some souls pray that I don't want to go out again into the world because I'll be captured by Maya. That's why Bhaktivinoda Thakur has sung that song, iconic song in the voice of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saying, wake up, remember you made a promise when you were in the womb and now you forgot. Let's, let's, do, let's try it this time. So Kapiladev mentions how the baby in the womb has this experience of seeing, that, uh, uh, seeing his or her existential situation. But when then pushed out of the birth channel and into the world, the senses then uh, realize their interconnection with the sense objects immediately. And there's, they're overcome. The soul is overcome yet again by the wave of 
uh, material energy that envelops him or her. And then it's likely that they can go a whole lifetime without uh, thinking of God or very uh, strenuously trying for self-realization. That's why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told Sanatan Goswami, Maya Mukta Nahi Swata Krishna Gyan. It's not automatic that um, a soul comes out of the material nature. There has to be some intervention to, to bring them out. And he says that that's why Vedic Vyas put so much into writing the Vedic literatures for us. They act as an intervening force. As the human intelligence can assimilate the Vedas. And once the mind becomes fortified, Krishna says this, as the way to overcome the onslaught of sense gratification or being pulled by the senses, evam buddhi param buddhva, samstabhyatmanamatmana, jahishatram mahabaho kamarupam durasadam. He has mentioned at the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita how our enemy is kama. It's this energy that's generated in the material world from rajas. And then we're overcome by it, and it takes strategic positions in the, in the hierarchy that starts with the, the, the senses, then the mind, then the intelligence. And therefore, he says, you have to develop your buddhi, your intelligence. And then you can conquer the lower self by the higher self, he says. And that is, uh, I mean, just as observation, since you brought up, you know, one incident where you can regulate the senses uh, for the sake of pleasing Krishna and, and, and being in a good shape to do devotional service, especially the next morning. Krishna says also, Ragadvesha vimuktais tu vishayan indrayaischaran atma prasadam arigashiti that if you're able to incrementally improve by using your senses in devotional service and learning how to regulate the senses for the sake of serving Krishna, then, uh, as Prabhupada has translated this verse, he said, you're following the regulative principles of freedom. Because I'm under the tyranny of the senses. There's a beautiful poem that Prabhupada quotes frequently it goes, Kamadinam katina katita palita durni deshas Tesham mai Tesham jaye Sorry, Tesham what? I can't hear you. Katina palita durni deshas Tesham jata mai Nakaruna natrapa no pashanti Utsri jayatanata yarupate sampratha labdha bhūris tamayata sharanam abhayam mam niyunkshvatmatasye So this, thank you. Kamadinam katina katida palita durnideshas means durnideshas means the senses have been bad masters. And then he kept questions for how long and in how many ways have I obeyed them without ever questioning them. And also, the way Prabhupada renders the poem, he says, they never gave me time off, and they also never gave me mercy. And so now he says, Utsri jayatanata yarupate samprata labdha buddhis. I've gained my intelligence. Labdha buddhi, labdha means to gain something, and 
Buddhi means the intelligence. Now that I've gained my intelligence, my spiritual intelligence, I'm turning away and begging Krishna. Well, I'm turning towards Krishna. I'm asking him, please, now you engage me. I don't want to be engaged by my willful senses. I want to be engaged by you. Utsri Jaitanata Yarupate, Samprata Labda Buddhis, Tamayata Sharanamam Nyukshvatmadase. I'm taking shelter of you as your servant. So this is the way to freedom. And if we if we can get some service, that's the if we hold on to the service, it's the rope that pulls us through the various troubling circumstances of our life and there will be troubling circumstances it's it's part and parcel of material life it's what you get here it's the dukalayam in india you can go to the bojanalai to get you you know some sabji and roti but here in the material world you get dukalaya you get your nice serving of misery put it on a nice leaf plate for you how much would you like? A little more, perhaps? And so uh, we have this option that uh, we've been enlightened with, that uh, it's been bequeathed to us. It's, it's the process through which we can actually come to our natural condition of serving Krishna and be, be happy, joyful in his service and not disturbed by the changes that go on in the material world or not disturbed even by being in a material body. Okay, Mukhavindi, you had your hand up. Hare Krishna Maharaj, um, there are many, um, many distinct impressions and thank you so much for taking us to various holy places and, uh, and it's so many nice kirtan, katha. So some of them... Don't mind, but actually you took us. <laughs> So um, many uh, point the first. I remember the relationship that you were mentioning, like how once when you are, when you came here and then one brahmachari was serving you, and then how during the course of time he developed relationship, and like you both developed relationship. Similarly, you are saying that when we come to dham, it's not that uh, it just we think that we can come in old age and then settle down. We have to develop our whole life that. Uh, coming to dham and, and developing that relationship so i feel that um, it's the first time when i uh, first time when i went to vrindavan uh, parikrama so definitely some impression came and i'm so it's, it's really good point the relationship doesn't develop like over, overnight it takes time there's such an important point it says we're cultivating a relationship with krishna and so much of that has to do with his tadiya which includes his devotees those who love Krishna and being around them. And there are, there are impressions that we get when we're serving with the devotees and, and when we come to the Dham also. This is important just to uh, mention on a technical level. There's a way in which we, d we develop uh, impressions in our mind called samskars. Because the mind is a recording device. In fact, the eyes are video cameras. You're videoing everything right now. It's on automatic. And the ears similarly are taking in all the uh, various impressions from the outside environment. And they, they go in and they're recorded. And purusha prakriti stohi bhunte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya sarasad yoni janmasu. 
Krishna says, what do you expect? This is, this is what you get, a result of what you've recorded. It, it's, it's quite scientific and natural. And so there's a deliberate way in which we come to places where Krishna is the center of everything. And we associate with people who are absorbed in Krishna and chanting Hare Krishna. And then what do you expect? You're going to be Krishna conscious. You're going to be brainwashed. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. So when you come into that environment, then actually what happens is, this is according to Patanjali Muni, who wrote about the psychology of yoga. And he said that the, the material samskars, which end up uh, impelling us to make bad choices, we choose again and again sense gratification because the impression's already there. And we think uh, it'll make me happy because I felt a little uh, spike from it before, even if it's from a past life. And therefore, when the opportunity comes up, I go, I want it, I want it, I want it. So when we get impressions from association with devotees, those overwrite, to use a, a modern a term, the old samskars. It's, it's a, it very much parallel to overwriting code. And not that I know anything about it, so, except for a few little anecdotes to use a metaphor. But just that uh, if you've written code and then you write over it, the other one starts to disintegrate, fall apart eventually, and it's replaced by the new code. This is exactly what happens when we go out of our way to regulate our senses in bhakti. And part of that is developing these associations. On an emotional level, I could say that, at least for me, coming to the Dom on a regular basis over time, then, I mean, just recently when we came back, I hadn't been to Govardhan for two years, and I felt really affected when I got back there. And I was happy for that, because I felt like, Wow, I'm glad that's in there somewhere. <laughs> that feeling that I, I, I love this place, I want to be there, because I have so many impressions added up from spending time there. And this is what comes to bear when we leave the body, actually. Or even before we leave the body, we'll start to develop um, a preference for devotional activities, for a devotional association. This is a really good sign. And, uh, of course, when we leave the body, there's, there's a, uh, all of the impressions in their aggregate come to bear. And that's why Krishna says, yang yang vapi svaran bhavam tatyante kalevaram tam tam evaiti kontiya sadata bhava bhavita. Your bhava, it comes out. When you, when you don't have your senses and the part of your mind that's... Uh, active in trying to enjoy the world, when that starts to spin down towards the end, in other words, you start to see yourself as um, just an existential being. Uh, it, you lose the context that you had uh, for being uh, an exploiter of the material nature, and you start to feel helpless. Then what happens is the, the emotion takes over. And this is the bhava. And that's really, literally, what carries us to the next body. We get accommodated by material nature. So, 
uh, developing these impressions and especially a relationship with the Dham, with Krishna's devotees, with Kirtan, and when we have a liking for it, and that's our preference in life, then we're literally um, transferring ourselves to the spiritual realm. And we'll be accommodated according to our desire. If we desire, I just want to serve 24 hours a day. I don't like these interruptions to sleep, for instance. Then Krishna will say, okay, here, here's spiritual body. You don't have to sleep anymore. Thank you, Carvin. nice. Yes. Another point I like was the, uh, like in one of the class you mentioned, like living in the age, like um, I see myself like getting um, tendency, tendency to become just comfort on going to the cozy zone and then uh, trying to increase more and more that comfort, especially when we come to Grahastha like that, okay, how we can increase more and more comfort and, but uh, that deep impression came to me, my mind when in one of the class you mentioned that when we are in the age, then Krishna can push us anytime, but we have to be on the age. Stay on the edge. Stay on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay a little close to the edge. And don't get too cozy. We should, uh, Prabhupada mentions in, in his commentaries about Gajendra. You all know Gajendra because Gajendra was a, a very strong animal. In fact, everybody respected him on the land. They followed him around like, hey, you're the boss. His footprint's like bigger than anybody's. And you know, when he walks through the brush, everything goes crackles, pop. That must feel really good to have such a big body and you walk through and it's like and everyone's kinda like, Okay, go ahead, you can go. You go first. But when he got when he got in the water, he was surprised there was a surprise attack by a, an a crocodile who grabbed onto his leg. And uh Elephants are actually really sensitive animals. You know, I talked to the, the devotee who takes care of the elements in, elephants in Mayapur. They're very social and they're, they're uh, very personal. And they latch on to people. Anyway, poor Gajendra got captured like that. But we're all like that. At one time or another, we're going to have a crocodile on our leg. In fact, we already do, but it'll become more obvious at a certain point. And then he struggled, and he came to this point of realization that I can't win. And that, that comes to all of us. Although there's this uh, tendency to want to survive, and not just survive, but the ego tells us we want to excel and be better than everybody else, and or not show any weakness. Like the body starts falling apart, you just patch it up and keep walking like, I'm okay. Prabhupada mentioned sometimes people in a hospital with tubes. They say, how are you? And he's like, I'm fine. Prabhupada, he wrote this in his poetry in Vrindavan. He said, what is this fine? You can't move and, and you can't operate the body yourself. But there's some sense that I don't want to admit it because it's embarrassing to, to be so helpless. So Gajendra, and it's a fortunate situation actually for the soul to come to this existential crisis of realizing that I am helpless. And it came into his consciousness that I can't win this. He fought as hard as he could. And that ego that I'm, I'm the king, it just ebbed away. And there he was. But he had, of course, from a previous life, cultivated devotional service. And there were prayers even that he memorized. 
And then he began, as an elephant, he remembered them by Krishna's mercy, and he began to recite those prayers. They were heartfelt, even though at first he wasn't even sure how they were coming out of him. And even they were slightly nondescript in the beginning because he wasn't fully aware who he was praying to. He knew he was helpless, and the spontaneous um, urge to say the prayers came out, and the words were there because he had said them in a last life. But it didn't become clear until uh, Krishna appeared. In fact, the demigods heard his prayers and said, these aren't for us, they're for the Supreme. And Krishna said, these are for me, and came and rescued Gajendra. Prabhupada points out that because he's uh, an animal of the land and not the water, that he couldn't defeat the crocodile in the water. And that's where the fight took place. So Prabhupada says that we should be aware of that. And we should find what's the most natural condition that we can live in so that we're, we have this strength to fight against Maya. Everyone has a different circumstance and different set of senses. So what's normal to one person may be abnormal for somebody else. We have to find that ourselves and stand on two feet to fight with Maya. That's what Varnashram really is about, to accommodate people's psychophysiological natures so that they can stand on their own two feet and be productive spiritually and materially. It's a good accommodation, not just leaving people on their own to figure it out, but there's actually slots set up for people so that they can uh, get to it quickly and do the best they can with what they've, they've been given. Okay, let's see, we'll take one more. Is there another reflection? Yes, Shambhak. Yes, please. Uh, you you mentioned that um, that you miss so much when you have this feeling that I know this. So um, I mean, how to stay in that frame of mind that uh, I don't know, and uh, it could be related to knowledge, it could be you know service, it could be association, because I go into that realm most of the time that you know I have heard this, I know this, I think I know, I don't need to take in this. So how how to stay in that frame of mind? Well, one thing I've noticed is talking to very new people about Krishna consciousness helps me to stay in that frame of mind. And the reason is that I have to think like they think in order to be effective in communicating to them. I have to be two steps ahead and think like, uh, um, I can't use words that... Um, they won't understand. I can't use jargon. I have to think, uh, what is their context for understanding? And when I, because when I have exposure, when I'm exposed to, to people like that, and I'm trying to explain Krishna consciousness uh, from their context, it, it helps me to remember uh, to not take things for granted and not think that I know a lot of things. And also, another aspect of that is to see that people have a lot to offer. They're all souls. And they have amazing realizations, the people. And it, it always surprises me. Uh, you know, you, there's a way that 
uh, my mind through the ego might think, oh, this person's like this or that. And, and, but uh, in um, the mighty monkey fighters are coming alive out there now as dusk comes in and the monkeys are circling the building. Just, uh, I would just say in general, talking to, to new people who don't have the same context uh, is helpful in doing that to, to remember how the simple basic points about Christian consciousness uh, can't be overlooked and have to keep coming back to them and also that you can learn from everybody. And also just reminding myself uh, with staying um, open to what people say because, I mean, how many times, I don't know how many times I could count where I say, yeah, I already know that, and then it turns out that I really didn't. It's just... I, it's just the, the ego, egoic mind saying that um, I want to be first. I want to already know this before everybody. I think, you know, everyone wants to look for it. Not everyone. Some people want to look for a shortcut. To, to, uh, like even in Krishna consciousness, there may be a tendency to, like, I'll read all these other books and then I'll have kind of a, a, um, a what? And you know, have an upper edge, because I'll know more than everybody else. And uh, Rupa Goswami says, don't do that. Don't be a bookworm for the sake of just getting all kinds of knowledge so that you can out-argue everybody else or say, wait a minute, I know something more about another Shastra. You should really approach the Shastra in this, in this way of like, uh, I'm really a fool. I'm really helpless. How many times can you read the Bhagavad Gita and still get something out of it? That's a pop quiz. How many times do you think? Asankhya, you can't count it. It's as deep as the ocean, even the Bhagavad Gita. And what to speak of Srimad Bhagavatam and Sri Chaitanya Charamrita, Prabhupada gave us so much. I'm not uh, advocating a, um, a meritorium on, on all other books. I'm just saying that my mind goes to that level of like, let, let me cheat, instead of just being sincere and taking it in. So I have to remind myself that uh, I'm a helpless being. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said it. Uh, he, he told Prakashananda Saraswati, my, my, my spiritual master told me I'm a fool. And Prabhupada comments in the purport, he said, Murka, Murka means fool. So he said, you should always be a fool before the spiritual master. So I'm like, hey, Guruji, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Uh, no, there's always something to learn. You, you, you know, if, you've, if you stay open and humble, if you're hungry and humble, I like that one too, because in Ayurveda, that, that's a sign of health that you're, you can digest because you're hungry. You ever notice that? I notice a lot. I get hungry, and that, you know, when I'm really hungry, everything looks good. It can be... It's like, you hate that. No, I like it right now. <laughs> and so, you know, when we're hungry to, to actually advance in Krishna consciousness, then we're open everywhere. Like, where, where is it going to come from next? Uh, and we, we don't categorically block out that, uh, oh, that person can't offer me anything. I already know that. It, it, it's a matter of hunger, really, spiritual hunger, where we're open to every, everything. Krishna can speak through all kinds of people to us. So we have to tune our ear like that. Just a couple of rambling thoughts. 
about that. So thank you. All right, Krishna, thank you. Okay, one, two, one, two. Okay, one, two. Well, uh, first of all, I'm just appreciative that I had the good fortune of being at the same time when you we're were here. We're so happy you're here. It's so good to see you. Well, it was, uh, I was just talking to Malini Mataji this morning, and she was saying that you're just at the right time and right place. I said, just... Well, you're more fortunate than I, because I haven't talked to Malini in a long time, <laughs> <laughs> like about a week. Anyway, go ahead. So, I just appreciate it. I'm, I'm just grateful that we're here at the same time. Thank you. And uh, I was just thinking about the place when we went today to um, uh, Rupa Goswami. Terkadamba. So I was just thinking how how Rupa Goswami was empowered you know, to write actually. I was just thinking of a purport that uh, Prabhupada writes in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the 19th chapter, 19.135. Prabhupada says that Rupa Goswami was not a, uh, he was not a brahmachari, he was not a sannyasi, he was just a simple grasa, but he was still empowered. Then Prabhupada gives like, he lists like a couple of things, he says how he was empowered. He was saying that he had the eagerness to serve and then he was very, sincere in his practice of Krishna consciousness and that's the reason I was, that's the reason he was empowered to actually do it. Wow. So I was just uh, thinking and praying that I could also develop. Some. So two things, same again, eagerness to serve and? Sincerity in his sadhana. And sincerity in sadhana, those are worth getting a tattoo on the way home, one on each arm. So I was just uh, remembering and I was praying to Rupa Goswami. Really nice, thank you. Great. Yes. So in the last few months, this is like my third visit to Vrindavan, but this is like really special visit because this time we got the wonderful opportunity to take your association, to hear from you, to visit the various places and hear your kirtans and the glories. So I had this realization that visiting the Holy Dham is definitely very enlivening. But visiting the Holy Dham and taking the association of the devotees of the senior Vaishnavas is so powerful. I mean, it's just really beyond imagination. So thank you so much, Maharaj. Thank you, because of your, I mean, it, it's palpable to, I mean, it's, it's always a uh, matter of reciprocity because, uh, you know, it's noticeable uh, who's in the audience, uh, the, the, uh, the, the level of attention is what uh, raises the consciousness and the level of the conversation, otherwise, it's not possible. It just the the sound vibrations kind of stops halfway through and just sort of, you know, falls to the ground when people aren't interested. So you're as much uh, to um, uh, of the process as I am just you know facilitating. But I and, and I appreciate your point. It's a classic point actually that uh, Prabhupada makes again and again. In fact, um, there's there's a very interesting incident that took place at Kurukshetra, not during the battle, but when the uh, members of the Yadu dynasty and everybody, in fact, uh, including the residents of Vrindavan, came to Kurukshetra for the eclipse. It was a big mela uh, to do some special uh, ceremonies there for the eclipse and of course, everyone knew Krishna was going to be there from Vrindavan, so they all went also. And it was a who's who. The sages are listed there who all came. So everyone was there. And then Krishna spoke to them. And 
What did he say to the most elevated sages in the universe? Yes, yatma buddhi kuna petri dakluke so di kalatradi tu boma ijiti yatirta buddhi salile nakarichij janeshu abhigeshu sa eva gokara. So I'll explain the verse in a minute, but first, for dramatic effect, I just want to say that the sages, according to the narrator of the Bhagavatam, were stunned to hear this. Stunned, they said it was the most profound thing they ever heard.